Hello team and welcome to episode 396 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Chad Hufford. Chad is a financial planner, owner of financial planning firm Veritas Wealth Management and father of six. The subject of money when it comes to our mental and physical well-being is not spoken about enough. 42% of US adults say money is negatively impacting their mental health and when presented with the word finances, feeling stressed was the top response with this being the answer from 70% of the participants that were being surveyed. It's also estimated that 4 out of 10 divorces happen due to financial issues and this is why I had to bring on Chad to help us solve a challenge that so many of us are facing yet don't have the answer to. In this episode, you can expect to learn what are some of the steps that you can take if you are currently in debt, how to navigate your finances if you're in an okay place and to ensure that they keep growing along with the best place to put your money so that you can achieve financial freedom. So without further ado, Chad Hufford. Chad Hufford, welcome to the show. How are you today? Elliot, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, the pleasure is truly mine. And I have a feeling we're going to have a very good conversation today. And to begin with, I want to give my listeners an insight into who you are. So could you explain who Chad Hufford is and what it is that you do? Well, I am a financial planner. I have a a financial advising firm. We do a lot of investment management, but my my background really comes from, from coaching and athletics. I've been doing this for 16, 17 years. And as you and I talked a little bit offline, just the importance of coaching and mindset. And it's it's really not just providing people the right tools, just like buying somebody a gym membership doesn't get them in shape. They have to have a plan, they have to use it, they have to execute it consistently. Uh, so that's a big part of what we do is help people find the right pathway, identify the right goals, like what's meaningful for them, what does what financial freedom really look like? Uh, and really it's helping people live a life of, of abundance. That's why fitness is so important to me in family and faith and these other things, these pillars of an abundant life. Because if all we focused on was money and somebody is, is wildly wealthy from a monetary standpoint, but their health is poor, their relationships are destitute, they're not going to be living a life of freedom. So we, we've tried to take a more holistic approach, but at my very core, I run an uh, investment management firm and do financial planning, but I hope it's bigger than that. I hope it's actually helping people live better lives. For sure. And I think that having wealth, like you've mentioned, it comes in all different aspects. There's being wealthy when it comes to looking at your finances and your investments. And there's also being wealthy when it comes to your connections, your relationships, your health, your wellness, and all these things. And that's why I like specifically about your work. You're not only focused on the financial side of things, you are focused on the collective and the holistic side of things as well. And I want to take a step back. Was there ever a time in your life where you weren't super in a good place with your finances? Oh, absolutely. I actually, in in college, uh, slept on the floor for uh, a couple of years. Couldn't afford a bed. I had a mattress on the floor. And then even after I started this business, uh, there, as you know, I mean, running, running a business, you have to make a lot of sacrifices up front. I, I, I hate debt. I chose not to take on debt. Uh, so that means we had to build very slowly. I started this practice out of my garage. There were some really scary and lonely times when I wasn't sure if I was going to make it. And uh, my degree is actually in biochemistry. I, I went to school to go into medicine. And there was that pull 
like, hey, man, this doesn't need to have, have to be this hard. You already have all the connections. You already have all the letters of recommendation. Make it easy. Go to medical school. Be a physician. And but I felt like, no, I need to keep pushing. And I'll tell you, one of the moments that was kind of a breakthrough for me, it was a really, really dark time. We had two kids. We had a third on the way. It was not making enough money to even pay the bills. We were barely covering the expenses of the business. And it was, it was winter time. It was cold. And I remember pulling up into our driveway and somebody, we, to this day, I don't know who did this. Somebody left a box of groceries on our front porch. Oh, wow. And I just remember thinking like, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. And that was, that was over 10 years ago. So that first five years was really, really difficult. But I think there was something in that moment where I was like, you know what? We've got the right people. God's going to take care of us. People are... Are, are not going to let us fail. We just have to keep pushing. And I think that that message can, I mean, it, it can relate to fitness and relate to so many other things. You just, you have to commit to the right process. But yeah, there were some, there were some very, very lean times for us for sure. And it's really, really powerful to speak to someone who's gone through those lean times as well. It's very easy for the person who was maybe genetically gifted when it comes to their health and well-being or someone who was born into a good amount of finances, whether their parents were rich or grandparents, whatever that might be. But I always think the best type of people to speak to on the topics that you want to improve are the people who have been in your situation, right? So I love that you've got that flip side to the story as well. And you mentioned that, you know, there was a lot of faith, there was a lot of self-belief, there was a lot of belief in your team as well. But were there ever moments where you were like, we can't keep going with this? Because I know a lot of people find themselves in a position where they're like, I've got a family to support, getting a job is probably a more practical idea. Did that ever cross your mind? Absolutely. It was a battle I fought with for a long time. Part of it was just the pride of the prestige of, oh, I could be a doctor. You know, I think even my dad felt a little bit that he liked the idea of being able to introduce his son, the physician, you know, there's, uh -huh. there's cachet there. I started this business in 2007, you know, 2008, 2009, we had the, the worldwide financial crisis. Being a financial planner, being a financial advisor during that time wasn't super popular. <laughs> you know, it, it, people are like, oh, I can't trust you. So I'll tell you the, one of the toughest moments for me, very, very specific time. I, I ran into one of my old professors. So he was my organic chemistry professor, but he was actually a, a professor for the University of Washington Medical School. A uh, very prestigious individual. And I was lucky to catch him on a summer course. He was just up here for the summer. And I'm like, I, I have to take this course with this guy. There's a course I need to take anyway. Developed a good relationship. I was able to show, I think, my intentionality, my 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 work ethic, my drive. Uh, he was impressed by all those different things. Uh, he himself is an immigrant. Uh, he came from India, so I mean, he he knew he knew what it looked like to bootstrap this whole thing and just grind it out. And I bump into him, and he says, "What are you doing here?" And I kind of explained why I was at the location, why I was there. And he's like, no, 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 no. Why are you here? You should be a physician. You should be in residency right now. You should not be here in Anchorage, Alaska. And that stung really bad, Elliot. It was because it, it made me think like, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's a professor at the Washington Medical School. This is not just some flyby night guy who's making this stuff up. He's telling me, that I chose the wrong direction. I chose the wrong pathway. So that, that was really difficult for me. And it, it took, it took some time to overcome that. Cause that was, that was a long or around those same t time in my life where we were, 
were struggling to make ends meet. So I think there was a financial pressure, there was a psychological pressure, and it was a huge hit to my pride too to hear somebody I looked up to that I that I had faith in, that I knew had faith in me say, you've missed it, you, you, you're not in your calling. You need to reevaluate, you're making the wrong decisions. And that, I think that took some time to recover from. Yeah, it's an enormous hit because of both of those significant figures in your life, you know, your dad who would have loved to, you know, showboat you in front of his friends and then, you know, the remainder of your family saying my son, the physician, and then someone you had a huge amount of admiration and respect for both in the back of your mind. Well, one said it very absolutely to you, but the other one probably said it a few times, but it was also sitting in the back of your mind that maybe I made the wrong choice here. And it's amazing that you had that resilience to push through. And obviously we want to tap into the depths of your mind of where you created that resilience and where you've pushed through and gotten all of the success in your life, but down to the fact that you've decided to continue staying strong on that. And the one final question I want to have on that note as well is when you were going through those moments, I understand what kept you going from that perspective. But when it came to your identity of thinking, okay, well, I could have been a physician, everyone thinks I'm making the wrong decision here. What type of things did you need to tell yourself every single day to stay strong to the vision that you truly, truly commit to, not just from a business perspective, but from a, I genuinely made the right choice perspective? That's an excellent question. So first of all, even, even as I knew the truth, I still battled against that little, that little voice you know, the devil on your shoulder, whatever you want to think about it. And, and some of that was pride and some of it was just fear saying, hey, there's a secure path for you over here. Um, and there was, again, that pride path too. like, hey, w- instead of making calls out of your basement, trying to see if people want to hand over their life savings for you to manage, you could be in a nice white coat and be a physician like, come on, buddy. So I, I think what it came down to, Elliot, was twofold. Number one, realizing like, my why, my reason for existing and driving is to help people, to empower people to overcome helplessness in their life, to give them the best opportunity to live a life of abundance. And when I say that, it's so much, so for, much further than, than finances. So I do have a background in, in athletic training and nutrition. And I, I did that for a few years while I was trying to figure out, do I want to be a physician? Do I want to go into to finance? And even being a physician, like that's what I want to do is give people a chance for a better life. People that, um, that had been in, a, in, tra- in, in trauma, in a car accident, be able to put them back together again. So all those things came back down to that why, to, to give people a chance to overcome their difficulties and to em- empower them to no longer feel helpless, to have agency in their life. So these were all just, whether it was, whether it was personal training, whether it was medicine, whether it's finance, those were all different avenues to get me to that place where I could impact people's lives that way. But what it really came down to for me was my family. And realizing the way I'm made up, the way that my mind is wired, I didn't believe and still to this day do not believe that I would have been able to find the balance between being an excellent physician and being an excellent father and husband. Now, there's there's people that have had it figured out. There's men and women who can do both. I just know my own my own shortcomings, my own failings, and I I don't know that I could have been excellent in both. And I realized in this in this profession, I can be an excellent financial planner, an excellent wealth coach, and still be an excellent father, excellent husband. I've got six kids oh, wow. um, that keep me on my toes, and I've and by God's grace, I'm able to balance that very very well. And I actually had a, a good friend of mine who's now my neighbor. Uh, he's an ophthalmologist. It does 
unbelievable facial reconstructions. We, we actually both, both were working with fighters way back in the day. I was working with some UFC guys and he would work with these guys with facial reconstruction after like, you know, bad hit to the, the eye or something like that. And we were talking about this medicine path and I, and he kind of told me that you're going to have to choose your, your, your profession, your practice or your family. And he, he had chosen at that time in his life, he had chosen his practice and he loved it, but I could see how his family was suffering and we, and we got to be pretty close. I just realized that was not a sacrifice I was willing to make. Yeah. It's great that you had that clarity. And I know that maybe in hindsight, it seems clearer than it was, but it certainly seems like you knew the direction that you wanted to go in. You knew the path that you needed to take and all these other noises from the outside, they definitely had an impact, but they never steered you off the path. And I think that that's a really inspirational part of your story. So thank you so much for sharing it. And I want to transition now onto the topic of today, which is obviously financial planning and investments and the link that this has to our health and well-being. And this is what I love about this podcast is that we go down every single route because if everything comes back to your mental and your physical well-being, you know, one of the biggest stresses that anyone will have in their lifetime is going to be their finances. It's going to be probably to do with their purpose. It's probably going to be to do with their finances and their relationships as well. And the financial piece, I would say, is really not spoken about enough. And I think it impacts far too many people. And unfortunately, there isn't far too many solutions. So I want to get started at very much ground zero. And when it comes to planning our finances and utilizing our wealth in the right way. Maybe even let's start very, very much below ground zero. If we're in debt to begin with, I want to go from debt. I want to go for someone who's maybe at ground zero and I want to go for someone who's got some savings. Let's start with the person who's in debt. Where is the best place for them to start to start climbing out of that hole that they've gotten themselves into? The best place to start is to stop doing what got them there. So just think of somebody like, let's just use a fitness analogy. Um, somebody who's trying to get in shape, the best thing they can probably do is not to start doing something new is to eliminate the harmful things they're already doing. And, you know, and, and maybe it's something super simple. You have somebody who's cut, who's drinking three sodas a day, cut it down to one and a half, one and a half sodas a day, still terrible, but it's a lot better than three, but it's, it's slowing the bleed. So with finances, um, it's, it's the same way. You know, we, we've got to look at what are the behaviors that I need to eliminate? And, and some of those are environmental behaviors. Maybe it's, I hate to say it, maybe it's the people you hang out with that are pressuring you that, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, that type of a situation. Um, it could be being in situations where, you know, you go to the bar, you start to drink, you're spending too much money and obviously some bad health decisions, maybe some bad relationship decisions, but you know, what are, what are the behaviors that you need to stop? And sometimes they're, um, you know, we just call them like a, a wave of the wand type actions where it's a one and done. Like maybe it's selling a car. You know, I, we've, we've talked to people that, you know, they make like 67,000, $60,000, $70,000 a year. They're driving $80,000 car. I'm like, that just like, how do you justify that? Right. Um, and that might, that might be something they can just, with, with a, a, a wave of the wand, just eliminate that. But there's still other behaviors. So it's day-to-day things. It's buying the cup of coffee every morning. It's shopping on Amazon too much. Uh, retail therapy, those types of things. I mean, and, and, some, and sometimes these are joined together with, with bad fitness habits too, right? You, yep. you go home, it's a stressful day, and you, you sit down in your chair with a beer or uh, a little carton of Haagen-Dazs ice, ice cream, and you're, you're scrolling through Amazon, 
ingesting calories that you shouldn't and in spending money that you shouldn't. So stopping the bleed, stopping the bad behavior is one of the first things. And, and throughout our financial coaching, we go back to eliminating mistakes is sometimes the biggest thing that people can do. It's, it's, it's not always doing, doing the best thing that makes a big difference. It's, it's stopping all the destructive choices that have a huge impact. And again, this is the same in, in fitness as it is in finances. Yeah, and I like that because of when you ask, if I grabbed three random people on the street right now and I told them, how do you get yourself in shape? They probably wouldn't know necessarily the right answers. They might not tell me they need a high protein diet, they need a structured training program, but they can tell me what they need to stop doing in order to make themselves a little healthier, right? And I always say that we already know the bad things. Like if I tell people, what current things are you doing right now that are impacting your health and well-being they're like well i'm probably eating a little bit too much of x y or z i'm watching netflix till 3 a.m in the morning i have a drinking problem and people are super open and outright about the challenges that they have so i really like that approach because it's quite often easier to observe the things that we're not doing too well and start to cut those out than to like you said take on these new habits and this new identity because of you know cutting down like you said two sodas per day and having only one doesn't change your identity but going to the gym four times a week you know ultimately that's hopefully the long-term goal but to get people started i think it's very very feasible and actionable as well so i like that as well so let's transition on to the person who's maybe got their finances in a, an okay place they're kind of looking at their bank balance it's not looking too terrible but they're not really doing much with it they're fluctuating between going close to the zeros going back into the thousands etc what piece of advice would you give to that person in the position that they are in kind of transition between those two stages you know the first thing you want to do is eliminate those obviously destructive habits, right? And we might not have time to get into ideas for that. But you talk about establishing an identity. And that's super critical because I don't want to be an obese person trying to be thin or fit. I want to be, I might be a, a person who is committed to my health that struggles with my weight. It's a different type of identity. So every time somebody chooses to forego that dessert or that drink or goes to the gym, they're voting for the person they want to become. Every time somebody makes a payment on a debt or cuts up a credit card or, or chooses to forego an expenditure, they are voting for the person they want to become. There is, they are, they're giving proof to themselves of this positive identity that they're trying to establish. So I think a bridge between that is, is creating a budget, just like somebody would create a diet. It's a plan. A diet doesn't necessarily mean you can't eat enjoyable foods. It just means you're proactive rather than reactive. You're not opening up the fridge wondering, what am I going to eat? You've got a strategy already built out. I already know what I'm going to eat for the rest of the day, which is easy today because I'm going to fast most of the day. But you know what I mean? Like a diet just says, Here's my plan for the, for today, this week, maybe even this month, depending on how far out people plan. And a budget does very much the same thing. It's telling your money where to go, so you're not left wondering where it went. You're not you're not opening up Amazon, seeing oh what what should I be purchasing today, or or walking through a mall wondering what should I be purchasing today, or going to a car dealership. You're going in with a plan and a strategy. It's proactive, not reactive, and then. As that person is is getting connected to that budget, getting comfortable with that budget, building up an emergency fund. It's a it's a little bit of a gap between you and life. So that would be the next step. So you've paid off your debt, at least all your consumer debt. You know, you probably still have a mortgage, but 
all the all the non real estate debt that gets paid off. You start building up an emergency fund. We recommend usually at least three months of expenses. Um, so not necessarily three months of your salary, but like if you lost your job and you cut down your expenses bare minimum, at least three months of that, you know, and, and enough to replace a vehicle or a major repair on your house, something like that. So three months of expenses and it's, it just, it gives you a buffer between you and everything else going on around you. It's like a moat around your castle. It sits there and does nothing. But when life tries to invade, you're going to be really glad it's there. Absolutely. And I love that. So an emergency fund is a key part of any person's financial planning. What are some of the other key parts of maybe a budget or something that people should be starting to consider when they get to this level of their finances? I think a big part of it is just having a vision of, of where they want to be long term. So again, you think of somebody, let's say somebody hires a personal trainer. A good personal trainer isn't going to start with Okay, here's the workout I put everybody through. Here's the diet I put everybody on. There's there's trainers that do that. If your if your trainer is doing that, you don't have a great one. Your the first question should be, who do you want to become? What do you want to accomplish? Where do you want to be? And financially, we need that for two reasons. Number one, Elliot, if if we have different financial goals, the the tactics and strategies that we employ might be very different. You know, you might you might invest a little bit differently than me because our goals are different and maybe even a different pace uh, depending on what our ideal financial freedom looks like. Uh, I might have to make more sacrifices in the short term than you do or vice versa. So if, if we can identify our, our destination, we have a lot better chance of finding the right directions. Like I don't want to take directions to your destination. Does that make sense? The other side of this too, Elliot, is we have to identify with that destination because there is a lot of sacrifice. So some people, you know, when they're getting in shape, they might put a, a picture of themselves 15 years ago and they had a six pack, or maybe it's a, a celebrity or somebody they aspire to be, or they put a dress up on in their closet that they want to fit into. It's an aspirational goal. It reminds them of what they're working towards. Because you and I both know this. There's a lot of sacrifice that goes into this. We, we're having to constantly give up what we want in the moment for what's most important long term. So the more that we can identify with, again, who we want to be, what we want to accomplish, and, and who we really want to become, it makes it easier to make that sacrifice in the moment. So if somebody has really clear goals, not only can we reverse engineer from those goals and say, okay, here's what you're building towards. Here's where you are now. This is what the pathway looks like. We can also remind them and they can remind themselves, this is hard. I know I'm making sacrifices, but it's worth it because there's an identity, there's a vision, there's a strategic objective that I'm working towards. I'm working towards something, so I'm not reacting to the world around me. Once again, there's an unbelievable amount of crossovers that we've already discussed today, and I'm starting to see it even more clearly for myself in the sense of mapping out that long-term vision of where you want to be, and then reverse engineering the steps, and then having those short-term, those medium-term, and ultimately that long-term goal. And those come with a certain set of agreements that you have to follow on a day-to-day -day basis yes. in order to get to where you want to be. And ultimately, if you don't take those decisions, then you're not going to end up to where you want to be. And also, I want to ask this question. A lot of the people I work with, they set this super ambitious goal. And I love ambitious goals. But we also recognize that not everyone kind of ends up 
where they want to be. And not only that, they also realized that the destination that they thought they wanted to go to is actually not the destination yes. that they want to. You might have people like, I want to be a millionaire. And realistically, they just want enough money so that they can feel comfortable to spend a few times a week and go on a holiday a couple of times per year. And it's the same in my industry. Some people say, you know, I want the shredded six packs abs. And then they realize, well, actually just a flat stomach and just looking good around the pool would be more than enough. So how do you go through that with a lot of people who set these super ambitious goals and then recognize that actually I probably don't have it within myself to even push towards that. Or maybe that's not even what I wanted. I love that question. It's so important because we can be fixated on a goal that was maybe arbitrarily set. And sometimes we do set arbitrary, arbitrary goals because we need something to work towards. So maybe the thing that gets somebody in the gym is, you know, the, the kick in the pants that got them started is they've got a wedding or uh, a class reunion in six months. They've got to get in shape for that. But ultimately the goal needs to be bigger than that. It needs to be more than that because in six months they hit that goal. What do they do now? So there's got to be something more compelling to pull them, but that might be enough to get them out of the gate. So that's good. That's good. But goals evolve over time. And, and I'll just give you, you know, from my own fitness journey, I, I grew up playing basketball, football, baseball. I wasn't good enough at those sports to, uh, well, to, with baseball, to be honest, I wasn't passionate enough to work hard enough to, to bridge that into anything athletic. Um, I was also homeschooled. So back in the 80s, in the early 90s, there wasn't, here in the United States, there's not, there wasn't a market for that to get noticed. So I, I, I went to college uh, on academic scholarship and I walked on the track team. Never did track. It was a means to an end. I, I focused on speed and quickness to be a better football player, to be a better basketball player, focus on agility. But I was like, okay, can I take that and practice those things simply for itself? So I walked on the track team and the track coach is like, I'll let you sprint, but you have to do throws as well. So I was the biggest sprinter, the smallest thrower, um, <laughs> doing shot put and discus. I was completely out of place. People were super confused. Like, what, are you a decathlete? Like, why are you here? Anyways, but I had to adapt my training as my goals change. And then I got done with that. And then I started doing some, some mixed martial arts or training with some UFC fighters. And in my fitness goals were ever evolving. I did a strongman several years ago. Um, and, and, and that required a different style of training. And, and now I'm in my forties with six kids, you know, so I've, I, I can't sit there and try to pull tractor trailers every day. Like my joints just don't appreciate that. I've had to adapt. So it's not necessarily that we pick goals that are too ambitious. It's just, we realize what's valuable to us change. And this, this is going to circle back to what you, what you asked me about my career. I changed not because that goal was too ambitious, but my values had changed. I met the woman who is now my wife. We've been married for almost 18 years and it wasn't about me anymore. And I was like, how, how can I pick a career that is going to facilitate family, not just, not just a career, not just finances. So what was important to me changed. I think that's what's really important for people to know what is valuable to them. That's like what I said, like we, we might have a lot of similarities, but we're still gonna have different values. What is an abundant life to me might not be the same abundant life to you. And it's getting really clear about those things. And as you get closer to that goal, the goal hopefully becomes clear and then you fine tune it, you revise it. Uh, to mix metaphors, you might think of a little bit like building a house. 
you're going to start with a vision of here's what we want the house to look like. Here's what we want it to accomplish. Um, here's, here's how it's going to fit our family. And then you create a blueprint. That blueprint, like a diet, like a training program, it, it connects your actions today with what you're trying to accomplish in the future. But as I can tell you, because my wife and I built a house a few years ago, what we started with was completely different. Our beginning goal is completely different from what we ended up with. We revised the goal and the strategy even as the house was being built. And we've never done this before. My wife designed almost all of it. Our builder was great. He worked through us. He coached, he coached us through all these changes to make sure that our blueprint realigned with what that finished goal needed to be. And health and finances are the exact same way, Elliot. We revise our diet and our training program to realign with a new goal. And as our financial goals evolve, which they should, you know, my goals right now financially for myself and my family are completely different than they were when I was 30 or 32. Um, you know, you're asking about some of these hardships. Like, I mean, sometimes my financial goals were, I wouldn't be able to pay for groceries this month. Mm. You know, I mean, that was, that was as far out in the future as I could look. Um, and, and we've, we've eliminated some goals. We've raised the bar on others, but it's a constant reevaluation of where do I want to go? Because it's the only way to know if we're on the right path. Absolutely. And with that being said, how often would you encourage someone to reevaluate their goals when it comes to their finances? Because of it might be very easy to be working towards this goal, working towards this goal, but it's only when you look up, you realize, well, actually, wait a minute, I'm building a house with a pool, but it rains every two weeks. So why do I go with this now? The short answer to that is once a year. We Even if people think nothing have changed, once a year, we, we pull out all the plans, all the blueprints, so to speak, and look, okay, this is what we're working towards. You said this is what's important to you. This is what you want your life to look like. Are those things still true? Now, we also have things that come up where, where people say, hey, I just lost my job, or I just got an inheritance, or something happened in my family situation. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's, 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 it's difficult. You know, sometimes there's a windfall, sometimes it's a, a, a trial or a setback where they'll be like, okay, we need to meet and reevaluate things in real time. Um, maybe it's they get offered a promotion. It could be like really, really positive. Like th this promotion is gonna be a lot more responsibility. It might be more stress. But it also might mean that I can accelerate my goals. Is it worth it? Chad, I want to sit down and reevaluate. So even if nothing changes, we say once a year, like let's, let's look at the blueprint, look at the plan, make sure all those things are aligned. But if there is a major event in somebody's life and their family, that is a triggering moment that, that should initiate a, a review of those goals. And I think I think for, for fitness, it's important to do something similar to that. You know, reevaluate your diet, reevaluate your workout. You know, you're struggling with some injuries. Is there preventative maintenance that you can do? These are the same things that we look at when we review somebody's financial plan. What is the preventative maintenance? What are the potential hurdles out on the horizon we can get ahead of? Was there something that happened in this last year that you're trying to recover from financially? We just go over those same types of questions. And having it regularly scheduled one year at a time, it's, it's, it, it just makes sure that it happens. And rather than waiting for a triggering event, because that's not what you want, is waiting for something to happen where now you're scrambling to reevaluate your plan. You just 
just like a checkup with your, your physician, just making sure you're on the right path. For sure. Better to be proactive than reactive in. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. And with that being said, now we're going to transition into the fun part, I should imagine, for you. Once someone is in a good position with their finances, you know, they've put their budget in place, they've got that emergency fund, they've started to create a vision. Where does that person go with their finances to take a step towards, let's say, you know, wealth that they can now support their family? You know, generational cycles being broken in the sense of like, okay, you know, their grandchildren are even going to be benefiting from this. What does that look like for that type of individual? Well, the question we ask is around this concept of a work optional lifestyle. And what I mean by that is getting yourself to a point where you have enough money invested, you have enough potential income that you could give up your paycheck and still maintain your desired lifestyle. So it doesn't mean that you retire. It doesn't mean you quit what you're doing. Uh, In fact, I had somebody in the office the other day that she's struggling with her current job, but she loves the people. She could walk away and completely replace her paycheck with her investments. She's just not ready because she doesn't want to leave her office, the rest of her coworkers in a difficult position. She wants to get them through this season. So, and, and there's, there's reasons beyond that too. Like I, I hope to always be doing as long as I'm mentally sharp enough and I can communicate well, I want to always be doing this, but I don't want to have to do it. And there's, it's a beautiful transition that people make when they no longer need their job. They no longer need their paycheck to sustain themselves. And I'm not talking about just survival. Like, hey, you know, if I foraged in the woods for roots and berries and and we didn't turn on the heat, I could probably survive off this amount. I'm talking about all the things that, that you can't do right now because you don't have the financial or the time flexibility and freedom to travel, hobbies, things like that. If you were to add those things in, how much money would you need to be comfortable every single month. So how much money would you need hitting your checking account every single month to give up your paycheck and still be comfortable? What that does, it gives us a really strategic target to work towards. And like you already alluded to, that target can move and that's okay because we reevaluate it on an annual basis. But what it does, it gives us something to work towards in the future where we're not merely just collecting investments, we're strategically building to a desired objective. And from that too, there's a finite amount of money that people need to save to get to that point. It's not like Elliot, you're going to live off rice and beans, live under a bridge so you can build this wealth. If you say, Hey, in the next 15 years, I want to get to this place financially. We can reverse engineer that and say, okay, that means that you need to put X amount of dollars every month in investments. So you can find a balance between living now and still being where you want to be in the future. So your decisions now don't take away from the future, but also you're not sacrificing so much for the future that you lose out on the present. And I'll just give you a real quick fitness example. So I eat super clean during the week. A lot of vegetables, a lot of wild game. We're blessed with, we have freezer full of of, uh, wild caught fish and bison. I'm just super intentional about what I eat. I do a lot of fasting, but I also have six kids. That's not a super fun life for them. I don't want to push them away from this. So it's about balance. It's about sustainability. I'm not trying to do what's perfect. I'm trying to do what I can sustain for the next 40 years. So every Sunday night, we call it Sunday Fun Day. And you know, the, the kids will will tell me like what they want. So last week, 
for whatever reason, like shrimp was the theme. So we got panko shrimp and the stir fry thing. And my boys picked all, out all the food, but it was, it was teaching them some delayed gratification, but also teaching them balance that you're not saying no to these things forever, but it's a balance. Like how much can you give up in the moment without throwing yourself off track? And I know that because of how I train and how I eat, I can still eat whatever I want for those three hours because I'm doing everything else right the 165. And that's the important thing with having a financial plan, having a financial blueprint, is you can still live in the moment. You can do the vacations. You can you might even be able to buy that expensive car, but you know what the balance needs to be. You know how much can I spend in the present without stealing from my future. Without a plan, without a blueprint, it's impossible to know what that looks like. And the one big thing that comes to my mind throughout the course of this conversation so far is a money mindset or the mindset that people have in regards to the rules that they've been taught about money, the lessons that their parents have given them, that society has given them, that culture has given them. And that probably to me sounds like the biggest hurdle that people will have in terms of unlocking themselves and really creating true wealth in their life. It's very much the same with health and wellness as well. You know, there's something holding them back from getting to where they want to be. And it's nothing to do with, you know, people tell me all the time, oh, I love food too much. I'm like, you don't love food too much. Everyone loves food, right? It's nothing to do with that. That's not your problem here. There's something deeper here and we need to tap into that and work out so we can unlock and move you forward. And I imagine that's the same. So when it comes to the mindset that we need to have in order to create whatever our best life is when it comes to our finances and being a wealthy individual. What are some of your keys to success there to help people through their challenging, maybe probably on the back foot in terms of their financial mindset to getting them into a place where they are absolutely thriving? Well, part of it is just resetting that story that we tell ourselves. Mm. It's giving yourself a blank slate. And a lot of us have those stories that that we tell ourselves, even if we're not fully aware, nobody in my family has ever been wealthy. Nobody in my family has ever gotten a certain job. Or maybe I'm in a certain job and I can't be wealthy because of it. That's that's a huge... We work with blue-collar millionaires. We work with people that work hard in difficult jobs. We work with a lot of people from the oil field. These are not glamorous jobs. Some of these, these folks are working in the Arctic Circle. I mean, they're, it's 40 below... And they're away from their family for two weeks and they're welding in this weather or something like that. But they do the right things over time. And Lies folks are multimillionaires. We have truck drivers, they're multimillionaires, school teachers, they're multimillionaires. On the other on the flip side of that, we've had people referred to us that are that are business owners, lawyers, physicians. They're living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, because they're trying to out-earn bad decisions. Now, we also have some physicians who make great financial decisions that still have that, that disciplined patient mindset. My point is, it doesn't matter where you are, you can start making the right decisions. Start voting for that new identity. I don't care where you've been, what mistakes you've made. Who do you want to become? Start voting for that person. And it can start with something super, super small. Cutting out that coffee in the morning canceling that Netflix subscription or whatever. So you can put that money towards paying off other debt or building up your savings. And it's those little, little habits that build over time. But this identity, and my wife and I were just talking about this from a health standpoint last night. She's listening to this book and she's getting frustrated with the author 
because the author is victimizing people, saying, well, you know, society is putting pressure on you and it, it's, it's okay to, to, to be obese. It's okay to have these health issues and, and, you know, love who you are. And like, I get that. That's important. But if, if carrying around an extra 40, 50 pounds and having high blood sugar and insulin resistance, not only might that cost you 10 to 15 years of your life, it's going to cost you quality of life along the whole way. Yeah, you want to love yourself. You want to, you want to be accepting of yourself, but you also want the best for yourself. So from a financial standpoint, we, it's easy to lock ourselves into a lower standard than what we could have because we don't have the education, because we don't have the pedigree. Man, my wife grew up homeless. So she remembers, this is like super raw, but like she remembers having Christmas and homeless shelters. And her dad left her mom with four kids, four years old and under. So my wife is a twin. They were the oldest. And then she had a two-year-old sister and a newborn, newborn sister. So four girls under the four years old and under. And dad left, mom became an alcoholic and they had nothing. And like no child should ever have to grow up that way. But that's a huge hurdle overcome mentally. Like if that's how you were brought up to say that I can achieve something different than that. So a lot of it is just, is getting past, and I'm not trying to minimize the hurdles. I'm not trying to minimize the difficulties. Some people are going to start with two strikes against them, but I want to remind people that they, they have agency. There are things that they can do to chip away at whatever hole that they're in and start creating a better life. And that's in their, in their, in their relationships, that's in their health, and that's certainly in their finances. There is always something that they can do. And, and that's why I want to remind people, because a lot of people feel like with, when it comes to, to building wealth, it's like, well, I have to have a good job. The stock market has to always be going up. My employer has to offer a 401k. Those things simply aren't true. What you do matters more than what happens in the world around you. And that's not the message that we get from the media. It's not the message that we get from my own industry. We, I think, we victimize people. We tell them that they're helpless, that they have to, they have to guess the markets. They have to be able to predict the economy. They have to have a high-paying job with great benefits. And that simply isn't true. What, what you do matters. And, and I want people to take agency of, of their life and figure out what is meaningful to them, creating a pathway to getting there, and then slowly chipping away at it. That's unbelievably powerful. And I couldn't agree more. And I have this very much in the work that I do. And someone will come along to me and they'll give me the story of, yeah, my family has never been in shape or I was the overweight kid growing up. And I have a, you know, a thyroid function that's not optimal and borderline diabetes. And you've got to have your compassion. Of course, you know, don't get me wrong. Those situations, no one's invalidating those. But now what, right? Like now, what are you going to do with that? And I think that yes. that's the question you have to ask yourself. And the only person who's going to change that is the person who's looking back at you in the mirror. And it's a tough pill to swallow. And don't get me wrong. Like you did start a disadvantage. Like you said, two strikes against you and it sucks. But now what? You know, are you going to live in that 
victim mentality for all of your life. You're actually going to do something to turn it around. And I think that what I like that you said is like, it doesn't have to be you being in a good job. It doesn't have to be that the market's in a really good place. It just means you have to do whatever you can within your means. And it's the same with your health and fitness, right? Like you might be really injured right now, but can you take a little walk? Amazing. Can you consume less of the things that you shouldn't be doing? Amazing. Then we can take steps in the right direction. And then your outlook is going to look better. And ultimately you're going to get yourself into a better place. So I really, really do love that as well. And transitioning back onto this person who's now thinking about their investments and, you know, trying to get them that place of freedom. Cause that's the first thing that came to my mind. Imagine all these people are in the positions now where they're in their jobs and they don't actually have to be there. Imagine the freedom that we can work from and the joy that we can create out of our work or the jobs that we can leave because we don't actually enjoy them and we pursue something we're passionate about. Like that's a beautiful world to think about. Where do we go in terms of placing our money in the right investments are you someone who says that you know putting it in property is a good idea putting it in business is a good idea putting it in stocks and shares is a good idea what's your take on all of that well first of all getting to a place like that Elliot, is a beautiful place and just you know for your, your audience listening just think about like think about the projects that you would take on at work or the jobs you would apply for the people you would choose to work with if you didn't need the income you would you could be so picky about that and even even if there is somebody annoying in your job, you know, Horace from HR that always is bugging you or, or Kelly from marketing or whatever, you're like, you know what? Yeah, they're annoying and their breath smells bad and they gossip too much. But if they really get on my nerves, I don't have to come back on Monday. And a lot of that stress and frustration will just will kind of just roll off your shoulders because you realize you don't need to be there. And here's what's really cool, Elliot is even if you're not there yet, even if you aren't financially independent, you don't have full financial freedom, but if you're on the pathway, if you see that there's a course I'm following, you see a light at the end of the tunnel, you know you're making progress, even though you have setbacks, this life is full of setbacks. A lot of people want success to be like a staircase where every step brings them a step closer to where they wanna be. Investing is, is more like mountains. And we live in Alaska, there's mountains all around us where sometimes you have to cross valleys to, to start climbing. Life and fitness, you talk about injuries, you know, overcoming, overcoming injuries, sometimes you have to, to take some steps back before you can keep moving forward. And, but if we have that pathway, people can start experiencing that freedom psychologically, even if they aren't quite there financially. So when it comes to the type of investments, we are a huge fan of owning companies. Um, and the easiest way to do that is through mutual funds. Because when you own mutual funds, you don't own enough of any one company to make a killing, but you also don't own enough of any one company to get killed by it. So it's not sexy, it's not exciting, but investing should be relatively boring. Financial freedom. That's what's exciting. The mutual fund, that's just the tool to get you there. A squat rack should not be super exciting. It's the tool to get you physically fit and healthy. That's what's exciting. It's, it's where the tool is getting you. So mutual funds, what they do is they allow somebody to own hundreds or even thousands of companies that they don't have to manage. They don't have to, they don't have to deal with employees calling in sick. And 
they're going to own some great companies. They're going to own some companies that are, that are stinkers, and that's okay. And sometimes those companies will go down in value, but you're not dependent on any one company. So if you own a few thousand companies, the, the whole idea is, is not that your investments don't ever go down. That should not even be an issue. Um, it's uncomfortable, yes, but it's kind of like being sore after a workout. Like, that's just something you have to deal with. When it, when it comes to investing, we have to be able to embrace those down periods because honestly, you're buying the best companies in the world on sale. That's when investing matters the most. So I'll just give you a real quick uh, workout metaphor. So Muhammad Ali, at the peak of his career, he was asked in an interview about his conditioning. So for the listeners that don't understand, Muhammad Ali, one of, you know, probably the best boxer ever, but he didn't, he wasn't like this Mike Tyson knockout power. He would wear down opponents for round after round and he had incredible conditioning and he was being asked about this and they asked him like how many push-ups and sit-ups and stuff. He did a lot of body weight exercises. Like how much, many reps do you do of all these different things? And he said, I have no idea. And the interviewer was kind of taken back. He said, what do you mean you don't know? He said, don't you count them? He says, I do, but I don't count until they start to hurt. Those are the only reps that matter. So I think when it comes to investing, Elliot, when the economy is scary, when markets are down, when your mutual fund has declined in value, that's when it matters the most. That's when the reps hurt. That's when they count the most because you're buying the best companies in the world on sale. So the metaphor that we like to give people is this idea of planting an orchard. If you plant an orchard over a long enough period of time, you can plant that orchard large enough that you don't ever have to sell the trees when it comes time to retire or have a work optional lifestyle. You just live off the fruit. So it doesn't really matter how much the trees are worth at any given moment. They can fluctuate in value. What matters is how much fruit they can produce over your lifetime. And if you can get yourself to a place where you can live off just the income they produce, if you plant an orchard over a long enough period of time, you can plant that orchard large enough that you don't ever have to sell the trees when it comes time to retire or have a work optional lifestyle. You just live off the fruit. So it doesn't really matter how much the trees are worth at any given moment. They can fluctuate in value. What matters is how much fruit they can produce over your lifetime. The price of the trees doesn't matter. And in fact, when the price of trees goes down, yes, that means that the value of your orchard might temporarily decline, but you haven't lost any trees until you sell them. So there's a, there's a world of difference between a temporary decline and a permanent loss. And if we hold on to our trees, when they go down in value, we can, we can then buy more, add them to our orchard at a discount and produce more fruit overall. So those times of difficulty when a lot of people stop investing or pull their investments out, like it's like cutting down their orchard, or actually the times when those of us who are long-term focused need to, to, to double our efforts and push even harder. It's like, it's like the last few reps of a set, the ones that hurt the most do the most good. I really love that analogy. And with mutual funds, I am hearing this for the first time today, Chad. Do I just go on Google and search mutual funds? What do I do with that? Is that the direction I go in or do I contact someone like you? What's the plan? We always tell people, so you already asked the question and I'll just, I'll circle this back to this. It's coming up with long-term goals. That's where it starts. There are over 30,000 mutual funds registered just in the US. Some of them are probably poor funds. A lot of them are, again, they're just tools. So we need to make sure that we're using the right tools based on our objective. So if I were to go into a gym, there's tools, there's equipment that I won't use, not because it's a bad piece of equipment, but simply because it doesn't fit 
with my fitness journey. It's not something that is going to give me the best benefit. There's a better tool that I can use. So it's, it's starting with that, the end in mind. And that's, a, that's where we have everybody start, is coming up with their number. How much, how much income and, and how much invested capital do they need in order to have a work optional lifestyle. So we call it find your number. And that's that's something if, if folks are to email us, ask at veritasalaska.com and just put their contact info and find their number in the or find my number in the subject line, we can help them start this process. And and that's what it is coming up with that long-term objective. Then we figure out the right tools and the right tactics to get them there. Again, just like somebody joined a gym, a good trainer is going to first ask, who do you want to, who do you want to become? Where do you want to be fitness wise? Then they figure out the right tools to use to get them there. Somebody who's getting ready for a marathon is going to have a completely different training regimen using completely different equipment than somebody getting ready for a strongman. And depending on my goals and your your goals, we might use different investment strategies. I believe there's going to be principles that we're going to follow, but the actual investments might be very different based on where we at, where we're at in our financial journey, our goals, even our ability to tolerate pain and uncertainty in our investing journey. So all those things play in. There is not a cookie cutter formula. I, I believe this should be customized to the individual, to their goals, to what's meaningful in their life. Um, when I see formulas, it just drives me nuts. Like, oh, you're this age, your investment portfolio should look like this. There's way too many factors. And, and just like somebody's own fitness, I believe somebody's financial future is way too important to use some one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter approach. You you need a, I believe, and I'm biased, but I believe you need a personal coach to make sure that what you're using lines up with what you're trying to accomplish long-term. Absolutely. And you mentioned earlier there's definitely some bad coaches around who might just, you know, use the same program nutritionally and training wise to every single one of their clients that they're working with and kind of using a one size fits all. When we're looking for a financial planner or a wealth coach, what are some red flags that we should be looking out for? And what are some green flags that we should be looking out for? I've not been asked that question. I've not been asked that question uh, on a podcast. I think it's an excellent one though. The questions that a good financial planner, a good wealth coach should be asking is about you and what's meaningful to you. What do you want to accomplish? Um, the red flags are when, when they're product focused, when they, when somebody starts coming to the table with solutions before they understand your objective or your problem, that should be a huge red flag where they've got their, their list or their lineup of mutual funds or products. And they're trying to cram you into that box instead of saying, what did it, what is it that you're trying to build? Let's go out and find the tools that match up with that. So I'm sure you, you're, I'm sure you've seen those, those trainers, Elliot, that, you know, they've got a circuit. They kind of take everybody through every client. They're going through the exact same thing. And there's financial folks that do the, the exact same thing. And they're not necessarily bad people. It might be a lack of knowledge. It might be laziness. It might be being in a comfort zone. But when, when somebody is interviewing a, a, a fitness coach or a financial coach um, or a financial planner, it, the conversation, the first conversation should get very little into strategy, very little into particular investments, very little into the financial choices they might even make. It should start with, again, who do you want to become? Where do you want to be? And what do you want to accomplish? Those are the three things. And 
it should focus on one of those or all three of those things and talk about you know what is important to you. Where do you see yourself financially? If you never had to work ever again, if you didn't need your job and your paycheck, how would your life look different? Those types of questions, because that person is, is they're getting interested in your life and who you are, not just your money. Mm, I love that. And in terms of the financial side of investing in, you know, for example, you have to pay a fee to a coach. You, I've heard different things about financial planners in terms of them taking a percentage of your wealth or you paying them per hour or per year or whatever it might be. What solutions do you offer and personally recommend in terms of if you're looking for a financial planner and how you're going to pay them? What we see the best success with is where the, the payment is ongoing, like a subscription, whether you're paying a monthly fee or an annual fee, or if it's coming out of your investments automatically. Uh, they call that an asset-based fee. Like, you know, you have a mutual fund and there's certain costs associated with that. There's a certain percentage that that is taken out of that account. The mutual fund company takes a part of that and they might share a part of that with your financial advisor or with your financial planner. There's other arrangements where maybe somebody's in a job where they don't have the flexibility to have that relationship set up. So they're going to pay their, their financial planner on a monthly or quarterly basis. They're going to write a check or it's going to come out of their, their bank account or their credit card or something like that. But it should be regular and it should be ongoing because the, the problem with Paying somebody on an occasional, like, you know, I'm going to get a consultation when I need it type thing is that, that, that small issues can become big problems and they don't want to pay the trainer or the consultant to fix something small until the diet is way off track. Like, okay, now I've gained 15 pounds back. Now it's a problem. The same thing can happen financially. And a good financial planner, a good financial coach is going to be proactive. They're going to help you eliminate problems before you even get there. Same thing with a good personal trainer. So if you're hiring a consultant, a lot of times it's more you're trying to fix something that's already happened rather than eliminate the problem before it begins. You need a proactive relationship and you need a relationship. Somebody that you that you you only pay on a consultant basis, it's a much more transactional relationship. You need somebody who has your best interests at heart, that their success comes from your success. And, and it doesn't have to be a full hour-long conversation. You want those open lines of communication. A five-minute conversation might save five hours of work down the road trying to fix a problem. I, I've had clients call just simply just saying, hey, I know what you're gonna tell me, but I'm hearing the news, I'm, I'm a little scared, I'm a little fearful. Everybody in the news is saying the sky is falling. Armageddon, Armageddon's coming. We should pull our money out of our, our accounts and bury it in our backyard. I know what you're going to tell me. I just need to hear it from you. And we have saved just in the last year and a half, as people talk about recessions and things like this, in the year, this last year and a half, we have saved folks millions of dollars of mistakes that never happened because we were having those conversations throughout the year and and having and putting out those fires while they were small. So this is getting really long-winded, sorry, but again, it comes back to that relationship. And the other piece I was going to say is the accountability. If you're paying somebody on a regular basis, you have a cognitive buy-in where you've already put your money out there. So there's there's something in the behavioral sciences called cognitive dissonance where we don't want to act in a way that is out of alignment with 
what we say we believe or other actions. So if we're paying a coach or a trainer or a financial planner, we're much more likely to follow that person's advice because we've already paid them. We've already, it's, it's called a pre-commitment device. We've already committed our finances to that person. Now we need to commit our behavior. So a, a trainer that, that develops this great workout plan and emails it to all these people, it might be a great plan, but if there's no accountability to follow it, and if he gives that a plan, that plan away for free, a lot of people won't follow it because there's no value. There's no buy-in. And having, having a cost, or I should say a price associated with that advice is very important because it forces us to follow it. And a, a good financial plan, the best financial plans are the ones that are followed and executed on a regular basis. So that's why having that person in your corner, yeah, you're going to pay them, but part of that cost is the accountability to keep you accountable to your own goals. And sometimes it's a lot harder to disappoint somebody else than it is to disappoint ourselves. And if we've already told ourselves, this is important, I'm paying this person on a monthly basis, quarterly basis, whatever, it's easier to keep our, our behavior in alignment with that because again, we've, we've pre-committed something already to that, to that individual and to that process. hundred percent. And so many similarities to the health and fitness coaching side of things as well. And I think a big one is that sometimes we don't think of the price of not committing the price that we end up paying because of, we didn't end up doing the consistent monthly payment, which is a monthly payment, but we should be looking at it transactionally anyway, because it's what we receive from that. Right. And like you said, it's the accountability. It's that voice of reason when there's so much volatility happening in life or in the market or in the news right and then someone being able to say you're good keep going on your path and not anyone who has an invested interest in leading you in a different direction but someone who's got your best interest at heart who's got your back who's you know essentially part of your team as well and i think that's the best coach and the best you know financial planner i'm sure is someone who's a part of your team who knows your family who knows your bigger picture goals and wants you to get there because of course you know we want our clients to succeed but at the end of the day we're humans and we love to see humans who we've got a good relationship and humans maybe even we don't have a good relationship do good things and achieve the things that they want to and i think that that's a big big part of the coaching relationship and i like the similarities that you have in the financial planning side of things as well but chad this has been an awesome conversation i really enjoyed it and i want to wrap up with a final couple of questions and the first one i have for you is what impact do you want to have on the world with the work that you do when i'm gone off this planet I want people to be able to not, not necessarily look at me in particular, but look at my family, look at my organization and say, they helped me live a better life. Um, they helped me become who I wanted to be. And maybe they even helped me see something in myself that I couldn't see. And, and like we said at the beginning of this, that's, that's kind of been a part of my why, uh, beyond finance. Finance is just, it's just a tool that I use to help accomplish that. But I hope it goes far beyond that. I hope people can look back and say, because of the relationship they had with me, my team and my family, that they were able to live a life of, of abundance because of that relationship. Great answer. I love that. And where is the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up with the work that you're doing? So ask at veritasalaska.com is where folks can, again, they can email that and just put, find my number in the subject line if they want to, to figure out like what what does their financial objective need to look like? You can also visit us at veritasalaska.com. We are nationwide in the US. We have a few international clients. We were founded here in Anchorage, Alaska. So Veritas Alaska is, is the website. We'll probably have to change that at some point. And we were on um, LinkedIn, Facebook. My, uh, my 
personal biggest presence is probably LinkedIn, but we also have an Instagram account and people can get updates on, on what we're doing there. But don't hesitate to, to reach out with an email. And if you have questions that we didn't address here that folks want to ask, that's the best ask at VeritasAlaska.com and we'll get in touch with them and help them get their questions answered. Perfect. We'll drop all that in the show notes below. But Chad, thank you again for this insightful conversation. I really appreciate you coming on. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.